You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last time, we hope. A wild and crazy week 18 right down to the final gun of the final game. And we'll talk about that and the fireworks there. We've got our playoff picks, a couple player interviews. So let's jump right in with our, with our first player interview. He's a defensive back for the University of Hawaii Rainbow Warriors and pride of Venice, California, number eight, Eugene the Dream Ford. Eugene, welcome to Pros Like Us. How are you, man? Yes, sir. How are you? Doing all right. You like to put those wide receivers to sleep? Yes, sir. That's my thing. You know, physicality, mentality. All right. How'd you get the nickname, by the way? Is that Was that part of it? The dream actually came when I was playing receiver in high school, and it kind of carried over. You know, over the time, I've grown different nicknames, but it was from A.J. Green with my favorite receiver, and I always used to watch his film uh, before games, and his nickname was uh, The Dream in high school for him. You know, I kind of try to follow the legacy he kind of built for receivers, you know, taller receivers, so I kind of, like, followed in that area. I never knew A.J. Green had a nickname, The Dream, back in high school. I thought maybe you got your nickname from... Hakeem Olajuwon of the Houston Rockets. You know, he was the dream. But that was a while <laughs> oh, yeah. ago. Where are you uh, currently training for the NFL draft, Eugene? Where are you at right now? I'm currently in uh, Exos in San Diego. Well, literally in Carl- at the beginning of San Diego, Carlsbad. Why did you uh, choose that facility? What stood out to you about it? I trust that they are going to put athletes like myself on the best possible position to produce i mean my goal is to run a fast 40 i feel like they specialize that you know with the proper trainers and um recovery and the doctors and physicians um i've definitely have did my homework on them and seen that you know a lot of top tier guys that are in the nfl to this day and um in the previous years they have definitely gone through exos so you know i'm just following the footsteps of great talent that i've been through there all right, you're going to be playing in the Tropical Bowl in a couple of days here. It's uh, it's an all-star game that's going to take place in Orlando, Florida. What do you want to show scouts during that all-star game weekend? What's your plan? Just knowing that my versatility, my physicality, and uh, my IQ level, and just showing that I'm very much prepared of playing in the professional league. I definitely want to show them that I could play corner, I could play safety, I could play nickel. Um, I can come down in the box and I can tackle an open field. Um, I can guard some of the short, you know, quicker guys or taller limb guys. You know, me being a six one and three quarters, uh, 208 pound DB, um, I feel like I can show my versatility. Eugene, what do you think is the biggest question mark for you uh, when it comes to NFL scouts? Do you think you have to answer questions about your coverage skills or your speed? What do you think is the biggest question mark? Um, I believe being able to play in the slot. Um, was a bit challenging when I made the first transition, but I think over the years, um, you know, just learning and really taking in the coaching from uh, the coaches that I had in the previous years, kind of applying it to my game and what my strengths are. I think it was kind of a little bit of a glitch in between that transition time, but um, I think that would probably be the biggest question for me, is being able to uh, cover the short, quicker guys. Okay, Dream, you went from Venice, California to Honolulu. I'm, sounds like you're partial to the ocean. I guess my question, how do you keep an edge when you're playing kind of in paradise? 
I know it's so beautiful, and and, and then you got to kind of transition when you get in between those white lines. You know, definitely just holding that chip on my shoulder of always having something to prove, um, never being satisfied. So, you know, that's always been my mentality of, you know, the underdog story, you know, coming from where I come from. The opportunity of playing at this level was very rare. Making my presence known on the field has been definitely been a mission, and I definitely uh, try to accomplish it every game. I had read a quote that, you know, when you got to Hawaii, uh, you were all in from the jump. How have you embraced the local culture of the state and just what Hawaii signifies? Um, It signifies family. You know, me being a family-oriented guy, you know, always being involved with my family, just knowing how that love um, and camaraderie kind of goes into when I first came to Hawaii, it was definitely easy adjusting to because I'm a very open guy. I was always, you know, dealing with families and stuff, things like that. So when I came there, you know, doing community service, um, you know, just embracing what the brotherhood was built there, I kind of just added on to it and just brought myself into what they were trying to build. Which of the community service programs did you connect with that kind of hit home or you really enjoyed? Um, the biggest one to me was the YIP camp. Um, it was youth impact program. That was connected through the um, the Army base, and also they connected with us, the football team, which brought underprivileged kids um, from other islands and also the Oahu Island that um, the UH was on. Um, it was about, I want to say, 150 kids. Um, they were split up between team captains on the football team and just really engaging with these kids and really just being able to impact their lives, teaching them different values in life, also education, just taking their schooling serious, things that they probably have never heard before. Um, really hit home. I'm still connected with most of the kids that I've been around for the past five years. It happens every summer. So just seeing as they grow and they continue to accomplish all their goals they have set out for them. I mean, you definitely just see the impact that you have on these kids. I mean, they look to us as like idols, you know, even though like people in our teach to idolize people, but just seeing that they have something to be motivated behind. So that really hit home for me. Well, that's, uh, I mean, quite a feat as a college student and football player and to be able to go ahead and do that for those kids. That's awesome. You're known as the voice and soul of the program. Speaking of culture, being that voice and soul of the program, how would you describe the culture of the program today versus when you got there? Today, I mean, with the new coach, I know we're probably going to get into that. It, it built a um, a 1% constructive championship mindset now rather than back then it was more of a brotherhood based on like player oriented type leadership style or culture you know everyone was set on just being together as one rather than just being you know this is the starters this is the people who's next and then this is the people come after that we're pushing for everyone back then rather than just kind of like separating that um, in a way, if that answers the question. I mean, the culture still stands because we as players know what this program needs and what we try to build before any changes happen in the coaching staff. We know that we built a brotherhood that just cannot be broken by anything or any noise. So the culturehood of just being that family-oriented thing is what built this football program. Well, 14 guys jumped into the portal as the season ended and they weren't just guys that were looking for i guess positions these are you know, leaders quarterback running backs wide receivers you know defensive players you know quotes like you know grams killed our love and passion for football what did you see that i guess would lead these players to just make that sort of move 
I mean, you will see uh, perhaps a coaching style that honestly in this game and in life, you're going to not agree with everything that comes a part of your journey. And that's what people are going to understand. So what those 14 or 15 guys have done is try to set themselves up for a different opportunity to either better their lives or to either expand what they're trying to accomplish. So, you know, the coaching style, I guess, with those guys and some guys who are still on the program um, just didn't really connect with how he was coaching. I mean, you bring in a different coaching style than what you're used to, you're kind of going to have some type of friction. So what I've seen with that is, you know, guys just trying to seek a different opportunity for to better themselves. I mean, at this point in your career, you kind of know what you can – I'll say connect to um, what coaching and your playing ability and what you cannot. And those guys definitely are going with their gut and what they feel is right as a player. And that's my, now that my brother, I just got to support them. Well, we haven't seen anybody come out in defense of coach Graham and I'm not putting words in your mouth or Mm -hmm. do I have an opinion one way or the other? I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Would you defend him at this point, his coaching style and kind of how he chose to run the program? I mean, me personally, I can't say I can agree or disagree with his coaching abilities and and how his coaching style is. I mean, me as Eugene Ford, as a player that I've grown to be now, I mean, I've definitely been coached hard, been coached harder before. Like even in high school, I have my coach who's still my mentor and trainer to this day has coached me harder than, you know, what, you know, some people may say Graham has done. I mean, I've kind of turned what he's done and like me and his relationship was I've turned that constructive criticism to something that I can probably perhaps better myself instead of looking at it as a negative or a demeaning statement to me as a player. So I kind of just blocked out all that negativity and noise and kind of like flipped it and just made maybe utilize it, you know, to help my game perhaps. But other guys deal with certain things in a different way. I'm not going to say their reaction to it or the way they felt about it is right or wrong. Me as a player, I kind of flipped it and kind of like utilize it in a different way. Obviously, you've left the program. Do you believe that there's a friction between the coaching staff and the players? Yes, sir. Like I said, I mean, me being a player and, you know, also understanding what goes on in the locker room and how guys are reacting to these coaching staff. I mean, definitely they want to see a change, perhaps. And if it doesn't happen, I mean, they're going to continue to get the same reaction. So, I mean, there was a a friction, you know, these past four or five months. I mean, if if it continues, then it's going to continue to grow. All right, let's focus on the positives. We always try to focus on the positives here on this podcast. Mm -hmm. What has Coach Graham and the rest of the coaching staff that came there a couple of years back, what is the positive influence that you feel they brought to the program? Um, They brought a life lesson of, Um, A lot of things that you're not going to agree with definitely can be challenging, but how you respond to adversity, the way adversity comes to you is not going to determine your outcome. If you look at it and accept it and also just kind of absorb what you're getting, then maybe you maybe could turn that into a positive. I mean, you're going to face people, you're going to face challenges in life, more so going to be so challenging that you probably think is impossible to get out of. But I mean, if you figure it out and adjust to it, you definitely can, you know, turn it into a positive. I mean... The positive for me on a football aspect is that he's gotten me ready for the NFL on a mental aspect. I mean, listening to him on a football level has definitely slowed the game down for me on the field. I mean, the guy is very talented and he's very knowledgeable of this game. He's a football fanatic, so I've definitely listened to him on that level. 
to better myself as I'm making this transition from going to college to the pros. Hawaii went six and seven this year. Mm -hmm. That was the record. You guys made the bowl game, even though it was canceled, you never played in it. What does the team have to do for next year in order to be more consistent? Block out the noise. You know, it was a lot of distractions throughout this season. Um, a lot of, you know, disruptive things that just really didn't matter. You know, when guys are so caught up in it and trapped into it, I mean, you lose focus of what the main goal is, and that's to win games and win championships to help build this program. I think we got so caught up into all the noise that was going on around Island. You know, so I feel like if guys just stay locked into the one goal, and that's to be the conference championship, bowl champions, I mean, and going undefeated, I mean, if you, you stick to that going one week at a time, one game at a time, one play at a time, I feel like, you know, we can be untouched. I mean, we got the talent there. Unfortunately, we got some of our uh, big guys um, did transfer, but now it's next man up. Those guys understand that they have to, you know, if they're whether they're freshmen, sophomores, or any underclassmen, they got to treat this like it's their senior year and attack it like there's no more after this season. So. I feel like they get their mind right. You definitely can go back to, you know, winning the 10 games like we did in 2019 or more than that. What was your most memorable game as you look back on it, maybe individually or maybe it was a team win when you look back at your time in Hawaii? 2019, the Hawaii Bowl versus BYU. That was my first championship ever in my entire career from Pop Warner High School to college. I mean, that game set it off. That whole entire season really was just a memorable season. But us, unfortunately, that we lost in a conference championship, but just how the guys were just so bought in and fought. We went to war and battle every single day, whether it was practice, spring ball camp, and then come to that last game of the season, you know, us winning that championship. And also going viral for one of the hardest hits in college football history on Zach Wilson, you know, on the goal line. I don't know if you guys seen it yet, but that right there kind of set it off like, you know, this was the most memorable game. And hoisting up that trophy, you know, that championship trophy, knowing that I was a champion that day definitely was a memorable time. Well, Zach Wilson was still a young lad during that time, <laughs> but could you feel it that he was he was a good player? I mean, if you put it all together. Definitely. And um, we faced him a few years back. So that was his third year. And he actually went to the draft that same year. I definitely seen how he was a professional guy as a freshman because his first when we played him his freshman year, he definitely, you know, they got after us that game. And that was a very disappointing game. You could definitely see that that guy was going to go far because he was a good leader on the field, and very instinctive and very smart. You know, he was making smart throws. He had good ball as well. But um. He's a fierce competitor, and, um, you know, when he went into the draft that year, being the second pick overall, I mean, those guys definitely uh, seen something in him that, you know, I've seen as well playing against him. I'm guessing Zach remembered that hit. Maybe you'll get it. Maybe you'll get a chance to put one on him again in, in a short time. Now you've been a pretty resilient guy. I mean, you tore your ACL in the second week of the 2020 season, and you were back at camp, ready to go, fired up to go, was the quote, and that was August of, of this past year. What were the keys to your rehab? How did you come back so quick? The first thing I knew about this when I got the call that I, my diagnosis was I, I tore my ACL, I knew this entire journey was going to be all mental. I mean, guys from all over like that that played with me before Hawaii that's in the NFL now 
who've torn their ACL twice on the same knee, you know, guys reaching out, like coaches, all coaches reaching out. They told me, like, this this whole thing is mental. And one thing that I've grown to, and that's, you know, 2020 was supposed to be my last season, and over the years I've grown to be mentally strong. So understanding that this adversity was how my mindset was going to be from day one. So day one, I definitely set the standard of I was going to attack every single rehab session and to get stronger and mentally stay focused. So the whole time it was all mental. And I feel like the physical part was never a challenging part for me. I mean, at times things did hurt, things did get sore. It did take me a step back of my training, but I knew in due time it was going to happen. So I feel like once I attacked the mental aspect of it, it definitely was going to turn out to be good. Who got you through the tough days where it was, you know, it did get mentally challenging? I'm talking to my mom and also um, I read my Bible a lot, keeping my faith. I think it was a test of faith within me, you know, trusting that God was going to definitely continue to um, bless me along my journey. But look to him throughout the adversity, never to question what he's doing um, was a big thing for me. And um, my mom definitely kept my head up because at times it was tough, you know, seeing my guys out there going to battle each week. Fortunately enough, my coach, Coach Graham, did let me travel with the team. Uh, during those times I was down. So all the away trips, I was there right along the guys, you know, it kind of helped me grow as a leader and also, you know, slow the game down for me, watching it from a different angle. Um, but my mom and my, my good book definitely did keep me going. Normally on these interviews and if anybody that's listened to them, we always try to take guys back right almost to the beginning. But yes, if you can recall a certain time, a game, whatever it happens to be, Eugene, what made you really love this game? Sir, this game was actually uh, I, I started this game when I was five years old. I was actually put into it as a punishment, being a wild, adventurous kid. My mom thought this game was going to humble me and kind of keep me sane. But I ended up growing to love it. It takes me back to the time of receiving my first offer, which was Hawaii over the phone. I mean, the recruitment process was moving kind of slow. And I, all I was doing was hustling with my coach uh, slash mentor to really push my my highlight tape to these coaches. I mean, they were always coming to the school, um, just making sure all that time was going on. I mean, that right there truly showed, like, you know, I really wanted to pursue this and go to the next level. And then coming into my freshman year and being able to start as a true freshman was the, the main goal. And I feel like when I set my mindset to it, you know, coming in, you know, a lot of doubt of my playing abilities and end up fighting for the starting spot, um, it kind of, like, turned my intensity and my tenacity up a lot. My love for the game has always been there, but just on, at the college level, growing a lot throughout the years, I feel like, you know, I mean, I, I want to pursue this all the way until I get that yellow jacket. So so mom threw you into the fire and here you are. So thanks. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, thanks, mom, for sure. Thanks, mom. You mentioned earlier uh, being versatile and, and showing that. I mean, DBs need to be versatile just the way the game is played anymore. Now, you've played all over. Where would yes, you say you excel the most? Which of the five or however many positions in the defensive backfield would you say you excel at the most? So I had uh, more production in different areas, but my most production has been when I played strong safety. I feel like that would be something I would play. And then, you know, I can actually come down and play corner against the bigger receivers. You know, you know, we see in the NFL like DK or Devontae Adams where they're kind of bigger guys, you know, who kind of go high point that ball. I feel like I can be a challenge to them in those areas when they, you know, go against the average corner who's probably 5'10 at the most. You know, you know, that's kind of like 
the average size for a corner. I feel like I can show that ability of being able to come down and be versatile in those areas. I mean, you see this season, Jalen Ramsey moving from corner to star or the, the nickel position uh, per se, you know, seeing his versatility in those areas, I feel like I can definitely show that or more. Okay. During the draft process, you'll always hear about comps and everybody wants to hear a comp. If there was somebody in the NFL playing right now that you say, hey, that kind of looks like me, who would it be? It'll be the mix of the first year, Eddie George, of him getting around the ball and Jana Ramsey, the mindset and the swagger he brings to the game. So definitely that dog mentality of Tyron Matthew. So a mixture of a lot of those guys who seek the ball and, you know, kind of bring that tenacity to the game. Here's the opportunity for you, if you'd like, to go ahead and share your social media handles and plug any other programs that you're involved in. You talked about the one earlier, but if there's anything else you want to plug, go right ahead. My name is Eugene Ford again, and my social media is you know Gene, Y-O-U-K-N-O-W-G-E-N-E, and that's on all platforms. Um, I'm always open to reach out to all the younger generation that's coming up, giving them inspiration and connecting them to the right people. So. Thank you for this opportunity. All right. The dream. There you have it. Uh, Good luck to you during the uh, draft process, and hopefully we'll see you in the league. Thank you. Thanks again to Eugene Ford, the hard-hitting safety from Hawaii. All right. So we had some crazy games this weekend. I mean, Raiders, Chargers, maybe we'll save that for the end. But uh, Niners and the Rams. But first, what did the Colts do? What did we see? What was that? We didn't see much, Lou. I mean, we just saw Carson Wentz choking under pressure once again, coming up short. I mean, a team that was supposed to win, take care of business, they just couldn't get over the demons. They haven't won in Jacksonville since 2014, so why break that tradition? The team just didn't show up. The Colts didn't show up. I certainly didn't think that the Steelers would somehow get into the playoffs, but they did. That was embarrassing. I mean, if there's a way that the ownership would say, look, we like Frank Reich, but we can't do this. I mean, we deserve to be in the playoffs. We've got Jonathan Taylor. You know, we've got a good defense and we got to cut ties with the quarterback and the coach. I would understand the Colts ownership doing that a lot more than, you know, what the Dolphins did with Brian Flores. It's just hard to explain from the Jags perspective the game against Buffalo at home, and they win that one 9-6. to six. How Buffalo only manages two field goals against them. And then, you know, in this game, they only had three points. I mean, they ended up with 11, but they scored late, you know, then a two-point conversion to make it 11. But they were never in the game. I mean, it was, this is it, man. This is this is for the playoffs. So I don't know, what, does that speak to the coaching staff? You would have to believe that. How can you not be prepared to play, you know? I mean, even if you look bad you're still gonna beat that team you should beat that team but you know that's why they play the games you've heard that many times in the past and i think we mentioned it on a previous show that they were zero and six going down there but wow that's just you know just a head scratcher from top to bottom but uh your team as we expected would go into uh sofi and Take it to the Rams. No, it didn't go the way we kind of expected. I mean, they're down 17-0. It's not looking good, but uh, they stuck to their guns. They kept running the ball. And then, 
I don't know, kind of an off the radar, under the radar, whatever you want to call it, MVP, Debo Samuel. Debo just elevates that team. He does whatever it takes for them to win. If he needs to run out of the backfield, if he needs to catch passes and wide receiver, hell, if he has to throw a touchdown pass because Jimmy's not getting it done, he does that. So, I mean, what more can this guy do, Alex? He's got to be your guy. That's your favorite player, right? He's definitely the MVP this season because, I mean, we do have George Kittle. He's great. We do have Nick Bosa on the defensive side. No questions asked. But Debo is just the glue that kind of holds it all together. I mean, he does whatever is asked of him. He lines up in the backfield, in the slot. I mean, he's breaking tackles, you know, making people miss in the open field. He's incredible. I mean, he's Superman. I'm glad he's going to the Pro Bowl because obviously it was, you know, a healthy year for him. He elevated our team and Jimmy G started. That was a surprise to me because in the first half, I mean, we looked dead. I mean, the first half ended 17 to 3. And then in the second half, the 49ers just came out and they were different. There was something different about him. I mean, Jennings, a wide receiver, was kind of the unlikely hero. I mean, he had two touchdowns in the game. And then the Nick Bosa and that defensive line just stepped up big. I mean, 13 hits, five sacks. They were getting home with those four down linemen. They were causing pressure. I'm going to say the defensive line stepped up big. Jimmy G didn't choke, which is a surprise because I thought he would at the end. He always does, but that wasn't the case in week 18. Jennings was kind of the unlikely culprit. And Debo Samuel was just kind of the glue that does everything. So I exhaled, Lou. I mean, I stayed up late. I watched the game, and I was just like, my God, we finally got one. I could care less whether we win or lose in the playoffs. I'm glad we're in there because the 49ers are a playoff team. Well, a Super Bowl team for me, Alex. And I'm telling you right now, that's a team, they're going to be a tough out. You know, if they can run the ball like that, and Jimmy, it seems like when it's a little off scripted, when it's a little bit, you know, more intense or it's do or die, he seems to play a little bit better. You know, they're, what, 80-some yards away, minute 17, no timeouts left to get the, you know, get the game to overtime. Come on. Could he have done much better on that last drive? I mean, what are you thinking when he had the ball with no timeouts? What was going through your mind? I'm thinking he's going to choke. I'm basically going to see the same thing that I saw against the Chiefs a couple of years back. He kept getting the ball back. All he needed to do was kind of make that play, and he never made it. I just thought that I was going to see that same Jimmy G. Well, he proved me wrong. He certainly stayed cool, calm, and collected. He made all the throws, and he let us back. We went into overtime, and we won the game. So I take my hat off to him because he showed grit, knowing that he's not 100%. He's not going to be 100% this week against the Cowboys in that wild card game. But obviously Shanahan trusted him. He put him in because he's got all those starts. You know, he's been in the playoffs before. He's won a lot of games here. So uh, kudos to the coach and the, the quarterback delivered. So somehow the Steelers... The Steelers won in Baltimore, which is no small feat. And it was everybody was ready for this is going to be Ben's last game. You know, the Colts are going to beat the Jaguars. Steelers really don't. I mean, there's the infinitesimal chance to make the playoffs. Two huge hurdles. But obviously, the Colts did what they did. 
And somehow, some way, with Ben, I don't know that there was a ball he threw more than 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Now, embellishing a little bit, but, you know, quite frankly, most of it, you know, was dink and dunk. Najee Harris did what he could. I mean, he was injured, but still kept playing. And somehow, some way, they win that game. So here they are with a chance. The only way that they don't get in now at that point after they won that game was if the Chargers and the Raiders tie. And what are the odds of that? Seriously. I mean, they're not going to tie, right? Alex, tell me about this conspiracy theory. I'm convinced that there's a conspiracy theory here. I mean, it's week 18. We've had, what, three games that went into overtime, like the Steelers game, the 49ers game, the Chargers game. And the last one was just dramatic, almost like a Hollywood movie. You couldn't write a script better than that. So I'm sure Roger Goodell got on the phone with the Raiders and the Chargers and said, hey, folks, it's the last game of the season. You got to put on a show. Let's do this. And, you know, it's the Sunday night game, and they certainly did. I mean, it was an incredible finish. It was a crazy game. I mean, down by 15 in the fourth quarter, the Chargers looked like they're dead. Herbert converting all those fourth and tens on that last drive. How many did he convert? Like six? Six. Seven? I thought Staley was going to go for it for the two-point conversion, by the way. I mean, if you go on that fourth down play, that fourth and two on your own 18, and you don't convert, and you know that the Raiders are going to score well, at least a field goal, then you got to go for it at the end of the game. I mean, why go into overtime? He loves going for fourth downs. So why not just have faith in your guys and say, hey, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go into overtime. If we lose, we lose here. So I was surprised that Staley didn't have the balls to go for it at the end of the game. Yeah, his DNA certainly has shown that that would have been on brand. That would have been him doing what he did. Now, again, the fourth and whatever it was, one and a half, two yards from inside their 20 is a little crazy. But if you are going to go for it, don't take the ball out of your best player's hands. Let Herbert do it. Whether it's running or throwing, you live and die with this guy. This is simple dive play. I mean, it, and the, the Raiders, their defensive line just was playing lights out the whole night. Now, granted, Herbert made plays throughout the night to keep it going. I mean, that last drive, you know, to get it to overtime. But they, they ran like 19 plays in under two minutes. Six fourth down conversions, including the touchdown, to uh, get them within one. So yeah, I mean it's just just crazy. And and then at the end, so many people have made so much of the timeout that Staley took. Like the Raiders were going to just accept the tie, but then because he called timeout, oh let's go for it now. I think that's bullshit. <laughs> Quite frankly, they I don't always believe that they always wanted to win the game. I mean, if you're looking at Carr, he's in the shotgun. The play clock is at four. They're going to run that ball. They're going to give it to Jacobs, and they're going to run the same damn play they ran after the timeout. The laughable thing is, we talked about this off air, was that Staley, being the defensive coach, calls timeout to get a better alignment to get his players in there, and yet they still can't stop him. If the Raiders truly were playing for the tie, don't they just take the snap and take a knee and that's it? And again, you're not going to let a division rival in without trying to win the game. So that's what when you were talking about him going for two 
in regulation to win the game, I think that would have been the better call. I'd be more upset with Staley about that than anything else, any other decision he made in the game. And again, the other part is taking it out of uh, Herbert's hands with, you know, at fourth and one. What, what, I mean, it wasn't a do or die, but you're pretty close to it. You're giving up points. Leave it in Herbert's hands. Let him run. I mean, he's a big dude. He's going he's gonna to get the first down. But kudos to the Raiders for making the play. And then the Iceman, the kicker, who, has ne- who hasn't missed in that stadium, just drilled it. Yeah, I'm sure Al Davis was happy. I'm sure John Madden would have been happy. Just win, baby. We're not playing for a tie. And we're certainly not going to let the Chargers in the playoffs if we have anything to do about it. All right, so we've got a highly decorated quarterback coming up next. He's the quarterback for Lindsey Wilson College in Kentucky, the Blue Raiders, an NAIA All-American 2020 National Champion from Shepherdsville, Kentucky, number 12, Cameron Dukes. Cameron, how you doing? Doing good. I really appreciate you guys having me on here. Well, welcome to Pros Like Us. Great to have you on mentioned off air you're getting ready for the dream bowl what's the plan yes sir so i mean my plan is to keep pursuing a career in football it's always in my dream and you know now i'm getting the opportunity to kind of chase that dream a little bit that's what i'm gonna keep doing as long as i feel like it's a reachable goal and where is the dream bowl when does it play give us all the good information there yeah so the dream bowl is in salem virginia 14th to the 17th uh this friday january 14th to the 17th and then it's played on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The game is on uh, the 17th. All right. Well, with scouts in mind, give us your scouting report. If you had to give one for Cameron Dukes, the quarterback. Yes, sir. I'd say I'm a, a dual-threat quarterback, high IQ, very disciplined in uh, ball security, strong arm, ability to extend plays out of the pocket uh, with both my arm and my legs. Downfall the weakness, I'd say, is probably obviously the level of play that I come from. What do you think separates you from the rest of the quarterbacks in this draft class? What trait do you kind of hang your hat on? I have a top-tier level of work ethic, I would say. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, nobody's going to sit here and outwork me because that's what everybody's going to say. I'd say I have a top-tier work work ethic with how I prepare in the offseason, how I prepare in game weeks, uh, just everything. You know, I pride myself on work ethic and, and not only, I mean, you can see it through schoolwork as well, so. What led you to the Lindsey Wilson College in Kentucky coming out of high school? Just tell us your backstory a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So coming out of high school, I was, you know, I didn't go to a perennial powerhouse high school or anything like that. I was undersized. I mean, I came out of high school about 5'9", about 175, soaking wet. So, you know, I was overlooked. Um, You know, Lindsey Wilson was the only written offer that I had coming out. You know, I had a few Division I preferred walk-on spots, but, Coach Oliver at Lindsey Wilson, you know, he's now at Georgetown College. You know, he took a chance on me, and, you know, I appreciated that. They've been in contact with me the most. And just the way that he was able to, uh, you know, have successful quarterbacks in the past before me, you know, that's kind of what drew me there. So did you ever think about switching from quarterback and possibly going to some other position, maybe like corner, wide receiver, I mean, looking at your film, you're quite an athlete. So I'm sure a few schools were looking at you other than just at quarterback. Yeah, actually, I, you know, I've never had anybody talk to me about, would you like to come play receiver for us or running back or anything like that? The only other interest that I had coming out of high school was for a punter kicker because, I mean, I punted and kicked there for all four years. And, you know, coming out of there, that's really the only other kind of interest that I gained. 
team. But so no, you know what? It never was. It never crossed my mind to change the position. Were you a, a good punter or a kicker? Could you perform at the college level? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and uh, you know say I was the greatest of all time to come through you know our school or anything like that. But I mean, I could definitely hold my own, and you know, with the work ethic I had, I believe I could have had a successful career in punting as well. All right, tell us about Lindsey Wilson College because most of our listeners don't even know where that is. All right, put the school on the map, Cameron. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, definitely, I mean, uh, Lindsey Wilson College. It's a small college in AI Institute. In Columbia, Kentucky, it's Central Kentucky. Most would say that we're a, a powerhouse in the NAI for the, you know, since we've started a program. Not a place that you would come to if you're you're looking to go for a, a city, you know, school like a, a party school or anything like that. I would say there's not many distractions in the small town of Columbia, Kentucky. That's for sure. So it's all about football there, huh, Cameron? Um, I, I wouldn't say that either. I mean, we, we pride ourselves as a school on athletics, but also academics. It's, you know, it's a great place to come, you know, very family-oriented college where everybody knows everybody. It's definitely a family there at Lindsey Wilson College. So, Cameron, you have accomplished a ton while you've been at Lindsey Wilson. <laughs> I mentioned a couple of things at the top, the All-American status. You, you've won a national championship. You've been in the playoffs all those years, 35-2 and two the last three seasons as a starter. What were your goals when you first got there? My goals coming in, I told my mom and my dad whenever I, you know, I first got interest and you know, committed to Lindsey Wilson College. You know, I just told them that you know, I wanted to win. You know, putting everything aside, I wanted to be a winner. Um, I didn't come from, you know, the most successful high school. You know, we had winning seasons every year, but um, there was nothing where we competed for a state championship. So I just told my family, you know, I wanted to basically, I wanted to fill my hand with rings before I left there. You know, I was able to do that in the time that I, you know, that I spent there. Okay. Now, a lot of guys in your position, you know, with the, the transfer portal and just all the mobility in college football have moved along, you know, especially for their final season. What kept you there at LWC? Yeah, I made a commitment to not only, you know, the coaching staff, but to the institution whenever I decided to write my letter of intent, you know, put my name on that paper. You know, I felt like that my commitment to that place was, you know, that's where I felt that, you know, I was going to give them everything that I had for, you know, the amount of eligibility that I had uh, to play. So not only to the coaching staff, but to the president of the college, the athletic director, you know, everybody had my commitment whenever I made that decision. Obviously, the last three years, you guys have been competing for the national championship there. And this year, you went 12-1 and and lost in the semis. How will you remember your final senior season? It's definitely going to be in the back of my mind that we came up short. But, you know, the last go-around was it was something special for everybody, you know, to get that extra year of eligibility because of, uh, you know, COVID-19 and everything like that. You know, I took complete advantage of it. You know, I took that time to just cherish every moment that I had with, you know, the institution, with the organization of our football team, the coaches, with the players, everybody. How was this year different from the year that you won the national title? Yeah, um, you know, the year that we won the national championship, we played in the spring. And I believe that it was such a unique experience to go through that time with, you know, all the regulations that we had on the school, with what we had to do when we traveled, everything like that. You know, it was a way that in the off season. We had to find a way to, you know, individually, how are we getting better for each other and how are we holding each other accountable? So I think that experience is nothing like, you know, any other season that, you know, anybody will be a part of again. Cameron, you mentioned your head coach, uh, Chris Oliver. He's now at Georgetown. 
Um, obviously, he was there, I think, for a decade, and he built a big-time program at Lindsey Wilson. What life lessons did you take away from him? I think the biggest one that I, I would take away from him is just, the, like I mentioned before, the commitment, the loyalty that you make, that you set to somebody. It's not often you see a guy that sticks around for that long with the success that he's had at that level of, of football not downplaying the, the NAI or anything like that just because it's a separate, you know, entity of the NCAA. But, you know, seeing him stick around, whenever I was recruited by Lindsey Wilson, he was the only coach that was still on board whenever I actually got on campus. It was just basically me and Coach Oliver. And so, um, you know, I think that he, he taught me, you know, whenever you make a commitment to somebody, you, you fulfill that commitment, you, you stay loyal to that person. You talked a, a bit about uh, academics, Cameron. I want to set this up a little bit because I think it's pretty significant. You were up for an award, the William V. Campbell Trophy, National Football Foundation Scholar Athlete. Okay, 176 guys were nominated. You were the only one from NAIA, and you were a finalist. And just to give our listeners an idea, the guys that were on stage with you were Sean Clifford from Penn State, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, uh, Matt Henningsen, linebacker from Wisconsin, and then the ultimate winner was Charlie Kolar from Iowa State. What did that mean to you? What, I mean, how did you feel being on stage with those guys? Yeah, I mean, this is a conversation I've had a few times now, to be honest with you, but, you know, it meant everything to me. That that award is something that I've always took pride on myself when I became a student athlete. I've always wanted to, you know, compete in the classroom, compete on the field, and, and you know, get everything that I could out of, out of both opportunities. And, you know, being on stage with those guys, I mean, yeah, I'm a smaller school guy, but I felt like I was right where I belonged in terms of, you know, not only being a, a student, but also being an athlete. Well, that's amazing that you that you had that ability and had the opportunity. I mean, as far as being a student, you can be a student anywhere. So that's, you know, kudos to you to getting to that point. But I think that was the award ceremony in Vegas. How'd that go? Yes, sir. It was in Vegas. It was my first time actually, you know, being that far out west. It was a great experience. You know, the National Football Foundation, they had a you know, really good uh, setup, and it was an awesome, awesome experience just being able to, to network and meet so many different people and, um, you know, Hall of Famers in college football. It was, it was an awesome experience. So having talked about this, you know, my next question might, might pale a little bit, but after four years, what's been the most significant achievement for you? The William B. Campbell Trophy is definitely up there as, as an individual award. Um, but, you know, something that I set out to do whenever I went to Lindsay was bring home a national championship to Columbia, Kentucky. So that's definitely going to be up there as well. It, it's so hard to just pinpoint one thing uh, with the success that our, our organization had when I was there. You know, the three-time All-American, three-time player of the year in the conference, you know, is individual awards. But that can't be done without a, a great team, a great staff of, of coaches and everybody around you as well. So. You know, just to kind of like give you a few of them, that, that's what I'd probably say, to be honest. Well, the ultimate team guy. I mean, I guess we don't expect anything less from a quarterback, right? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's, it's definitely not an individual sport. I can say that. Well, we're going to pick your brain a little bit. We want to find out what is your go-to play in that offensive scheme that you wish you can run over and over again. What's your favorite pass play? Like, say, if it's a third and five or a third and seven and you uh, need to pick up that first down? I've always been a fan of a spacing concept of any any kind. But to me, I think a third, third medium, third to long type of play, I'm probably going to go 
a shallow dig play. Uh, it's just kind of isolate a linebacker. But with the way that we ran it in our program, we also had options for one-on-one, uh, just quick outs um, if we have a one-on-one opportunity to the outside. To me, that's always been one of my favorite plays in our offense. It's been a very efficient play for me, uh, my time as a starter. And, you know, I think it's whenever I pursue coaching and become an offensive coordinator, is definitely something that I will hang my hat on whenever it comes to a big play that we need to go to. So do you like that spread concept? Do you like those, you know, four or five wide receivers all at once, three by one? You have a little bit more uh, space to operate and read the field? Yeah, I do like it. Um, the way we ran it, we ran it two by two. We ran three by one. Some We even an empty backfield and ran, a, you know, five wide at, at times to give different looks. We had many different tags that we could have put on different situations. Uh, to me, it was just easy for the eyes as a, as a progression of a quarterback um, to come in as a first-year starter and then progress in your reads to get more comfortable and go into hot routes and stuff like that. I just think it was a very easy progression for a quarterback to go through one to four on the reads and even down to the check down. Cameron, do you want to stay around the game? Do you want to coach football? I mean, whether it's high school or college, is that something you want to pursue or are you going to do something else? Definitely. I've, I've grown a love and a passion for the game of football since I started playing. and It's done nothing but grow my passion. And, you know, I want to continue to play, like I said, as long as I can and, you know, get the most out of you know, my athletic ability. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, I want to, you know, put the headset on and become a coach and, you know, stay in the college drought. When did that love for the game really develop? I mean, can you remember, you know, back to when you said, wow, this is what I want to do. This is it. Yeah, I believe it was the first time I put pads on. Um, it, it's a funny story. I always tell people about it whenever I first started playing. My dad, he called my granddad, and he was like, we're going to sign Cameron up for football. And, you know, my grandpa, he just starts laughing out loud on the phone to my dad, and he was like, he's going to absolutely embarrass you all because I was this soft kid that you know, probably cried a little bit more than the average kid when I was little. And whenever I got the pads on, I just felt like a different person, felt like I couldn't be hurt, felt like I just – I don't know. I just had a lot of fun playing the game of football at a young age, and I think that's what really instilled the, the passion that has continued to grow and, you know, led me down to the one to pursue the career path that I'm, I'm choosing. Well, forgive my, I guess, lack of awareness of NAIA football, but if you, you, you talked about the, the different systems that you guys ran, how would you describe the NAIA game versus maybe something that you would see on television? Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that would really catch somebody's attention is probably just the size of everybody on the field. Not saying that we don't have guys that, you know, are the size of those guys as well, because we do. But um, I think just overall the size uh, would probably be the biggest difference. But, you know, the NAI is a brand of football that, you know, that I will always wear, you know, with honor and respect for those guys that come through that level. You know, it's a different sanction than the NCAA. So, you know, it doesn't get as much hype as it should. You know, I think that, all the guys at that level are extremely talented and, you know, deserve the recognition of being, you know, college athletes. Um, you know, it's got all different walks of life, guys like me who were undersized and overlooked coming out of high school. But, you know, we've also have, you know, NCAA transfers that, you know, are getting their second chance to play and show that and prove that they can play at the highest level. Well, Cameron, we truly respect what you've done in your time at Lindsey Wilson. Really wish you the best of luck along the way. Uh, if you'd like to now, give out your uh, social media handles and anything else you want to plug. Yeah, I really appreciate the uh, opportunity. You know, you guys reaching out to me and, you know, staying in contact with me about all this. And, uh, you know, you can find me on Instagram, Cameron underscore Dukes. 
on Twitter at Cameron Dukes 12. Um, and then you can look up on YouTube, Cameron Dukes, Lindsey Wilson College uh, for my highlight film. If you know, you're interested in doing that. And again, I can't thank you guys enough uh, for giving me this opportunity to speak on, on myself and, and my skill set. All right, Cameron, have a great game this week and good luck the rest of the way. Yes, sir. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thanks again to Cameron Dukes. Yes, the list of accolades for this young man is long, and we wish him the best moving forward. So, it is Super Wild Card Weekend. I don't know if I'll ever call it that again, but I just had to get it out there this time. We've got six games coming up. We're starting on Saturday, and for the first time, I think, in NFL history, we've got a Monday night playoff game. The best thing about that is we get... Another Manning cast. Truly my favorite thing about ESPN coverage. So uh, we'll start with Saturday's games, Alex. We'll pick some winners. Maybe we'll talk about each game very briefly. but uh, And then I'll give my point spread winners at the end, and you can do your lock of the week. Okay, so we'll start off. Those said Raiders that we were talking about, they, they played their way to play at Cincinnati. Cincinnati a rest or rust situation here. Bengals sat most of their guys uh, last week against the Browns. Burrow needed the time off. I mean, he was kind of injured at the end of that Kansas City game. But uh, now the Raiders come in kind of feeling themselves. They're, They're on a roll. But, you know, are they exhausted from playing such an emotional game? I mean, that's a tough one there. Derek Carr, a little bit more experienced, but this is yet his first playoff game. I'm having a hard time with this one. I mean, I, I, my mind is saying Cincinnati, but I don't, I don't know. What are, you, what are you thinking? All right, Derek Carr is 0-5 in games where the temperature is below 37 oh, degrees. Oh, Alex, bringing the heat. All right. Or the, Look, co- I, or the I, cold. I can't go that, against history matter. here, Lou. I mean, I can't do it. I mean, he, is, he loves the warm temperature. He He's from California. He was at Fresno State there. The temperature drops there, but he never played like in the cold, cold. So that's a tough one for me. I just think I can't go against history. I think the baby Bengals, as I called them, Joe Mixon ran all over the Raiders defense when they played in the regular season. And the Bengals defense stopped Josh Jacobs and that Raiders running attack. So I'm going to say Derek Carr falls short here. And the baby Bengals with those wide receivers and Mixon advance. I think most of the people will catch on and I'm going with them. Yeah, well, that game was pretty close until the end. I mean, Derek Carr made some some bad plays, and obviously Cincinnati cashed in. Uh, they're missing, you know, one guy that had a huge game for them, uh, the defensive tackle, Phelan, in the middle. He got hurt, so I don't think he's going to be playing this game. Yeah, I think you got, I guess you got to go with the home team here. Just because, again, for some of the things that you mentioned, but I truly think that game took a lot more out of them than people will even, I don't know, acknowledge. I don't know what you want to call it, but uh, yeah, I think Cincinnati probably does win this game. The next game, also going to be frigid temperatures. I'm in the neighborhood close to Buffalo, New York. It's supposed to be single digits, uh, windy. I don't know about any snow, but it's going to be really, really cold. Does Bill pull out yet another special game plan for the Bills after the Bills really took them apart in New England? Hard to go against the Bills. Hard to go with Mac Jones in this game. But again, I'm guessing that the game plan is going to be 
almost taking the ball out of his hands and leaving it to the running game and the defense. But I don't know that that's going to be enough. I, I got to believe Buffalo wins this game at home. Wow, I'm surprised. I mean, Bill and the Patriots are going against them. I mean, I'm sure Mac Jones is not going to throw any passes in this game. I'm sure Bill Belichick wants to set an anti-record. So I'm expecting, you know, 50, 60 run plays and no passing plays at all. Maybe Mac Jones is even taking the knee and the Patriots are just playing defense and playing special teams. I'm going to take the Bills here. I'm not sure I'm taking the points, but I'll take the Bills. I think they're going to pull this one out at home. Alex, with kind of like the under the radar kind of sarcastic humor that, you know, we've not, I really haven't heard it in, in a while. So I, I like it. I like it. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be taking a knee. Maybe I might throw a few. I guess the, the key really is can Buffalo stick to a more conservative game plan if the weather conditions, you know, the, the wind, if you're not able to throw the ball 50 times, will they stick with Moss and Singletary throwing uh, underneath passes and, thing, and things of that nature? So that's really the, the key, I think, is going to be to this game. Can Buffalo stay patient on offense and not uh, you know, go over the top on numerous occasions just trying to hit the big play with Diggs and McKenzie and you know, the, the rest of Gabriel Davis, you know, those, those guys? Uh, okay, so Sunday, we've got Philadelphia at Tampa. This uh, It's an eight-and-a-half point spread, but at this point of the show, we won't talk about that. Philadelphia going on the road. Hurts, I'm assuming, is going to start at quarterback. Uh, should be ready to go. They found a, uh, a recipe to win, obviously. I mean, after, I don't know how many games it was, but you got to give kudos to Sirianni for kind of finding a formula to win games. Now, it's not like they really beat any great teams. I mean, playing in the NFC East, they had a lot of games, you know, four games against between the Giants and the football team. So that gives me a little bit of pause. I mean, I love what they're doing. I love Jalen Hurts, you know, for them moving forward. But in the playoffs against Brady, is this really something that they're going to be able to sustain? So as far as winning the game, I think it's a very low percentage. So I got to go with Brady here to win the game. I'm going with Brady and Bruce Arians and the Super Bowl champs. And I don't think they're losing this one in the wild card round. The Bucks lost only one game during the second half of the season. That should tell you something. I mean, this team is peaking right now. Even though with the injuries, I think they're going to rely a little bit more on the run game. I think they've got some pieces there. Even Le'Veon Bell is contributing somehow. So, and I didn't think I was going to say his name ever again in the NFL. I think the Bucks take this one. I think it's actually going to be an easy win. I think they will cover. Okay, so the next two games on Sunday, we've got San Francisco at Dallas and Pittsburgh at Kansas City. Fans of the show or people that have listened before obviously know that these games are near and dear to our respective hearts. San Francisco going into Dallas, this is going to be an interesting matchup. You know, what it's going to come down to is just, I think, San Francisco sticking to their guns, sticking with the running game, same way they did against the Rams, and having that just wear the Cowboys down and wear down that defense in the second half. And unless Dallas puts up, I don't know, 24 points in the first half, 
I think San Francisco stays in the game. I think San Francisco is there at the end, and I think they've got a real good chance of winning down there. I can't pick against my team, even though the odds are against them, but I just can't go against them, to be honest with you. Garoppolo still has a thumb injury. He's not 100%. Trent Williams is not 100%, our left tackle, but he will play. I think this game is going to come down to this. Can the 49ers offensive line stop that fearless pass rush that the Cowboys have? And they really have been getting after the quarterbacks. I mean, Demarcus Lawrence, Randy Gregory, Micah Parsons, that's going to be probably the most difficult part because, again, Trent Williams is not even close to being 100%, but he's going to give it a go. So we've got a banged-up quarterback. I hope we see some Trey Lance maybe running with the ball on those third and short situations. I'm sure Kyle Shanahan is going to try to mix something up like that, but I'm going with my Niners in this one. I thought he would against the Rams, too. You know, have Lance just to kind of shake up or so far. So I'm I'm will, I'm really it would be fascinating to see it in a playoff game so uh, i'm cheering for that as far as pittsburgh kansas city again you know is this ben's last ride i mean is this going to be his last game you got to believe it is i mean the chiefs beat him pretty soundly uh they were just in a few weeks ago i don't know that it's going to go that way I think maybe it'll be a little bit closer. I think the only way Pittsburgh really has a chance at the upset is if T.J. Watt blows up the game. Now, I think the Chiefs have shown a willingness, and when I say the Chiefs, Andy Reid's play calling, Eric Bieniemy's play calling, of being a little bit more uh, run-focused. And run-focused for them is maybe running the ball 30 to 40% of the time. So it's never going to be an even split. But they have shown an ability, and if you've been watching this team paying attention, they've kind of changed the way. I mean, the, the whole offensive line is different. Back with last year's offensive line, it was more of a zone thing and kind of getting outside. But with the, going across the middle with Tooney and Humphrey and Smith, they can really mash people, right? And in, with Orlando Brown, if he's healthy and playing in this game, these guys can run block. Right, so if they can get Daryl Williams up in there inside and really take, basically, it's weird to say this, but the Chiefs kind of taking the air out of the ball, running the clock, being conservative, Mahomes not throwing many deep shots and just methodically moving the ball, take time off the clock, let the defense do what they do, and I think the Chiefs are going to win the game. The twelve and a half is is a tough one, but I think the Chiefs win. Yeah, I think Kansas City is going to win, and I completely agree with you, Coach Lou, because they have to run the football because the Steelers have been atrocious as far as stopping the run this year. They haven't stopped anyone. Even my grandma can run through some of those holes. Hey, she's pretty fast. She is fast and athletic, damn it. She is. I'm just saying that the Steelers haven't stopped anyone. So I think the Chiefs have to commit to the run and and do like a 50-50 split. And that way they're going to be able to get good chunks on the ground. All right, then finally, the Monday night playoff game. This is unprecedented. Uh, The Rams and Arizona. They had, you know, very good games. I mean, Arizona won at their place. Rams won in Arizona. Arizona doesn't even come close to resembling the team they were early in the season with New Hopkins, with the healthy backfield, Edmonds and Connor. And now they're both kind of banged up, the running backs. 
Of course, Nuke hasn't played and is, isn't going to play the rest of this year. Supposedly, J.J. Watt is coming back. I think that would be more of a uh, of an emotional lift for them than it will be playing. I mean, that's awfully tough to come back in the same season from an injury like that. But, you know, maybe he does make a few plays, and that's really all I'm sure that they're looking for. But again, to give them some juice because they've just been flat, and everything is on uh, Kyler's shoulders. Really, I mean, to look for any big play, I mean, who do you look at on that team? I mean, you think maybe Christian Kirk, but he's never been a consistent playmaker. So I'm going to go with the Rams here, even though they're kind of limping in, so to speak. But I think the Rams are going to win it. The Cardinals have been my team all year. I mean, I picked them to get into the playoffs in the beginning of the season. I know everyone expects the Rams to represent the NFC possibly in the Super Bowl, in the home stadium. I'm going to go with the upset here. I'm going to go with the Cardinals. I think Kyler Murray has that magic on the road. Nobody expects Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray to pull this off. I mean, if Sean McVay loses in the wild card, this is just stick it to him. I mean, he brought his quarterback here and he still can't win. And I don't think it's going to happen. So I'm taking the Arizona Cardinals in this one. I have to go with the upset because the only one that I took the upset on on the road were my 49ers against the Cowboys. So I have to take another one. I'll take the Cardinals here. All right. So picks last week ended up 2-2. The Chiefs picked. I didn't really like that. But anyway, that was the loser. The Chargers late. I mean, I really thought, you know, they were going to do something this year, be in the playoffs, maybe even, you know, make some noise in the playoffs. I mean, it just sucks to see Justin Herbert not be in the playoffs. But Nevertheless, here we are. The football team did it. It was more so the Giants did it in that one. So that was the winner. And of course, San Francisco plus the points won the game. I'm going to make this short and sweet as far as the playoffs go. You know, you can make a case for any one of these teams covering. So what I'm going to do is this. On Saturday and Sunday, I'm taking all the dogs. I'm taking the Raiders plus five and a half. I'm taking New England plus four. I'm taking Philadelphia plus eight and a half. I'm taking San Francisco plus three. I'm taking the Steelers plus 12 and a half. But Monday night, I just don't see it with Arizona. I think just, I don't know if it's Kingsbury. I don't know if it's the offense. I don't know if it's Kyler Murray. But just something's not connecting there. Whatever they had, whatever mojo they had, they've lost it and haven't been able to get it back. So in that one, I'll take the Rams minus the four. My lock of the week, I'm going against you, sir. I'm going to take the Arizona Cardinals plus four on the road against the Rams. Look, they're limping in there. They're not the same team that they were in the first half, but I do think they get this win. And I think they'll surprise a lot of people out there in Los Angeles, so... Take that home, lock of the week, go against Lou because, hey, I'm always right. Well, his picks have been bad. Well, sometimes. <laughs> All right, gang, that's going to do it for us. Uh, it is Super Wild Card Weekend coming up, so I did say it a second time. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks for doing that. For Alex, I'm Lou on the way out. Hey!